Would you please turn with me to Luke chapter 6? We are going to be beginning today uh, our series in the ministry of the life of Christ. What we do is between different book studies that we will get into, we will take a time, whether it be six weeks or 16 weeks, to look at the ministry of Christ. We will pull from all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and today we'll be in Luke chapter 6. It's been a couple years, I think, since we looked at the ministry of Christ. And just for some background, we are going to be approaching just before Jesus enters into Capernaum. It's still the beginning of His earthly ministry, but we are going to find just the very last point in his very first sermon today to set a foundation for what he is about to do. And so Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be uh, studying and looking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. From 1997 to the year 2000, I spent time while I was in Bible college working in a place called Bethesda. Bethesda was a home for severely handicapped, both mentally and physically, adults. It was a good job for me in college. My wife, Tina, also worked at Bethesda, and it helped us to pay our way through college. It was a unique job uh, because it involved um, helping the residents there with meals. It involved personal care. It also involved doing activities with them, which was kind of the best part. Sometimes we got to play bingo. I loved playing bingo with those that were there. There was one day when we were having an activity time with the residents that were there, and I did not quite realize it that that I had an audience. There was someone watching. And as we were there having an activity, there was a group that was taking a tour, and they had been watching some of us workers interact with them. And this lady was so pleased with what she saw that she just... She was itching to give me a compliment. She wanted to say something nice. And so I think that she said the very best thing that she could think of in her mind. Here's what she said after watching myself and the other people interacting there at Bethesda. She looked us in the eye and she said, if anybody is going to heaven, you folks are going to heaven. Just like that. Well, I was in seminary training at the time. I didn't want to break out my Bible and start preaching at her. No, that's not why I'm going to heaven, but I am going there. But what she did in that attempt at kindness was she expressed how most people in this world feel about the life that follows this one. Most people feel very strongly that the way you make it to heaven or the way you have a better life after this one, is by doing good things. Some people feel strongly that your good works have to outweigh your bad works. I heard someone say that years ago. He pictured after he died that he and God were going to sit down at a table and have a conversation back and forth. And they would talk about his life. And if they agreed, then he would make it into heaven. I was glad that that woman who was observing was pleased with what I was doing. But I am much, much more interested in what God thinks of me when I stand before Him on Judgment Day. 
What we'll see in God's word today is that most people think that you're going to get to heaven by some accomplishments. These different things that you're busy doing during the years that you have in this world. Most people believe that if you can just get the right things done, or enough of the good things done, then you're going to be set for eternity. And Jesus comes to these people and he closes this sermon. And he makes it very, very clear that when every man and every woman stand before God, God is going to be judging them on something very, very different. And that's what Christ goes into today. So if I can take you back a couple thousand years ago to Christ preaching on the side of that mountain, maybe a few hundred people gathered listening, I think that the main audience that Christ had in mind was his disciples that he had called at that point. And he teaches them on several topics. And there's a, there's a couple common themes. One common theme that Jesus hit on was hypocrites. And can't you just see several in the crowd going, yeah, get them, Jesus. Preach about those hypocrites. There's plenty of hypocrites all around me. That was an appropriate topic for Christ to teach on in that day. And hypocrisy, well, let me just ask you. Have you known someone who has said, I won't go to church or I don't want to talk about the Bible because of a hypocrite that I know? Oh, goodness. So many of us could name several, couldn't we? Hypocrisy will be an excuse that people will use not to move towards God. And so hypocrisy was an appropriate topic. Another topic that he talked about often in the Sermon on the Mount that we've already covered all of that a couple years ago in our study was the topic of the kingdom or heaven. Is that a good topic for us to think about today? Well, of course. In fact, the reason why religion will never cease to be in this world is because most people are so curious about what happens after this life. The reason, why, the reason why religion will thrive is because people want to go to heaven. And most folks have the wrong kind of thinking about it. In fact, a, a good question for you to ask if you're interacting with someone who has a different faith system than you do, a good question for you to ask is, is if I were a part of your faith, how would I go to heaven? That really cuts to the heart of any faith system. I want to read one verse that Jesus has already given in the Sermon on the Mount because it kind of sums up what these people were hearing. It's verse number 20 of Matthew 5 where Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. But you need to remember who the audience was. It was the Jewish people. These folks were close. I mean, if you're looking for people who, who were close to getting the message of salvation, these were ones that they called Abraham father. David and the prophets were one that, ones that they knew well, and they were looking for a coming Messiah. And so they were close. But Jesus 
is going to make it very clear that close is not good enough. Some of these people that were listening were so close that Jesus refers to them in the final point of his sermon. It's not in a positive way, but he says, some of you are calling me something, and we need to get this straight. Some of these people were calling him Lord or Master, quite a compliment. You see, there were many people in that day, and there are many people in our day who admire Christianity. They admire Jesus Christ. And you, if you know the Lord today, you need to have this up as a red flag. If there is an individual that just admires Jesus, that is a dangerous place. If they just feel that Jesus was one of the good guys, maybe at the top, Time Magazine might put him in top 100 people of all time. If people think that he was just something good, that is a dangerous place for them to be. And so Jesus, as he closes this sermon, is he's not unkind, but he is brutally honest. And he begins this final point with verse number 46 of Luke 6. And it's a rhetorical question that he asks. Look at it with me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you? I don't think that we should be surprised at this. We should not be surprised that there were some people that admired Jesus, but they weren't genuine followers. If you want to apply this to our day today, I think it's very fair to say that there are many people who make a verbal profession without having genuine faith. I cannot stand and tell them whether they were genuine or not with their verbal profession. But Jesus makes it clear they will stand before a judge someday and there will be no hiding. If they are not genuine in following Jesus Christ then they will be judged. They will stand before God and there's going to be a book that's opened up. Many people are self-deceived. Many people think they're going to go up and they're going to bring this group of accomplishments with them. And Jesus will look at all of that. Like that guy that thought he would sit down at the table and have a conversation about all the great things that he did. And so many people are going to be surprised when they do not hear the words welcome, but they hear the words depart on judgment day. I'm sorry, your name is not written in my book. Well, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but have you considered all of these things over here that I've done? I'm sorry. Your name is not in my book. Before we get to the familiar parable that Jesus gives, I think we need to do some work here in Luke 46. We need to define by what Jesus means by the words, and not do what I tell you. That's at the heart. Two different groups of people. One group's going to have eternal life with Jesus. One group's going to have eternal life in hell. And it comes down to this, do not do what I tell you. So what does Jesus mean by that? 
Well, we need to return to the, the ABCs of salvation. Where does salvation start? Jesus Christ speaks to them, and he's going to take them to a point at the beginning of the sermon that they will need to remember. In the very beginning of the sermon, Jesus starts with the Beatitudes. We're familiar with the Beatitudes. And the first thing that he says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 20, put your eyes down on verse number 20, is, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, don't be confused by that word poor. He's not saying those of you who don't have very much money. That's not what he's saying. Even when we look in Matthew chapter 5, when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, is how it's translated there. We need to understand that what Jesus is telling individuals, this is a, a, an idea that you recognize that you not only are poor, but spiritually, each one of us, when we come to God, are bankrupt. Nothing in my pockets. I don't carry anything to the Lord. I am spiritually bankrupt. The first step of every man or woman towards heaven is a complete understanding that they are bankrupt of any self-goodness. And you can't get into heaven unless God sees you as good. And so some people have a problem with this. Every person must get to a place where the opinion of their relationship with God is, I bring nothing. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so Jesus is saying, no matter how much you think you're bringing, no matter how, no matter how much talent, no matter how many good works, whatever you've got, none of that is going to matter on Judgment Day. After the first service, someone encouraged me with a quote from Jonathan Edwards that says this, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. All that we bring to the cross was what took Jesus Christ to the cross. And beautifully, Jesus Christ is going to bring this way, way down so we can all understand it. I don't know if you've ever said before, explain that to me like I'm a four-year-old. Then I'll be able to understand it. Just bring it way down a notch. And that's what Jesus does. He brings it down to a story about a wise man and a foolish man. First of all, in verse 47, he talks about the wise man. Look at it with me. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against it. That house could not, shake, that, that house could not be shaken because it had been well built. Here is an individual that hears he is a sinner, that hears he needs to be saved and forgiven. And when he hears that, he responds with obedience. And what he does is, instead of concentrating on all the things that he can do, he goes to the bedrock foundation of Jesus Christ. And that is how the house is well built. 
A few years ago, we had the, the privilege of redoing our parking lot. And a decision had to be made. Are we just going to go on top of the existing parking lot? Or should we take the whole thing up and put a new one down? And we made a choice as a church to, to take the whole thing up. And so the machines came out and they rumbled and grumbled around here. And they dug up all the old blacktop. I should call it blacktop slash gravel at, at some points in the parking lot there. They took the whole thing up. And then the contractor, lead contractor, came in at one point. And he told us, we got a problem. We took everything up, and then we did some samples. And you guys have a tremendous amount of sand underneath the parking lot. In fact, there is so much sand that I don't feel good about doing this job unless we go ahead and inject concrete down in several of these weak places so we can put that new blacktop on top of it. Now, if you walk out on our blacktop... If you're like me, this morning when I got here, I counted how many cracks I saw. I stopped counting when I got to a dozen because it's just simply not going to hold its shape. There's stuff underneath that's not perfect. But I'm not nervous to drive in this driveway and park my car and walk on that. It's just a few cracks. Jesus is not talking about just a few problems with the house. He is saying an individual who does not dig deep, he is not going to have a found he's going to have a foundation. The one that does not dig deep, he's going to see destruction that comes. And that's what he talks about next. Go ahead and look at the foolish man with me in verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And when the streams broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You will regularly hear me call Jesus the master teacher, and he was. He does such a nice job for us here, doesn't he? Any child with a Lego set knows what Jesus is talking about here. You can't do all kinds of stuff up top unless you have the right foundation underneath. For some of you baby boomers, any child with a Lincoln log set has to have that foundation. I've got Lincoln logs in my house. Jesus makes it so easy for us to understand. And I'm not going to pretend that I know a whole lot about construction or about building or about concrete. But I can tell you that right now, today, I can look out the north side of my house and they're building some houses. And they have spent a lot of time pouring concrete, getting the foundation in place. A foolish man would say, man, they could have been halfway done with that house by now if they would have just skipped that process. And it looks a little bit better to the world. The world might see two houses being built And they might see this one's being built a little bit faster. Or this one's got more resources to do stuff with. This one's slower because there had to be time to dig deep. We are easily self-deceived. That's what the foolish man here is. The foolish man has deceived himself. He is thinking that when he stands before God, God's going to look at all this work that he's done. It's good to do work. We're all doing something. But when we come and stand before our God, Jesus makes it very clear 
as he closes this sermon. You are not going to bring any of that with you. This is the one, the foolish man who hears what God wants him to do and then doesn't do anything with it. Do you know someone who has heard the gospel? They have heard what they're supposed to do and as far as you know, they've never responded to it. They are going to be thinking God's going to see something incredible that they brought to the judgment. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. The foolish man seems like he had maybe an easier job to do. But with no foundation laid, the house fell as soon as the storm came. I think there is something to be said for the solid foundation of Jesus Christ when we go through the storms of life. There's plenty of scriptures about that. But I think Jesus' main point here is that we're going to stand someday before a God. And when that storm of judgment comes, there's only one thing that will allow you to be in this group that will have eternal life. And that is the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must not look as the world looks at eternity. And we must live this. We must believe this. We must tell others. It's such an important message that it's one of the first lessons that we teach to children. Did you realize this story is one of the first lessons we teach to children? Possibly some of you experienced hearing a Sunday school teacher or children's worker saying, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came a-tumbling down. Now, with three-year-olds and four-year-olds, we don't quite go as much into hellfire as maybe Jesus did here. It is key that they have this embedded in their hearts. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. It's kind of a fun song to sing. And the house on the sand went splat. We will sing. We need to have this as a foundational truth. What can you do with this? And what can I do with this? Well, I want to challenge us today, and this is going to sound very sobering. This is going to sound grim, but I need to just share with you that I was sitting here singing this morning, and I thought to myself, as sobering, as grim as this message might sound, I am in that category of individuals who have been forgiven. I know without a doubt that when I stand before my judge, he's going to look at me and I know what he's going to say. You are righteous. You are forgiven. You are clean. Because he's not going to look at anything that was built up here. He's going to look much, much deeper. So what can we do with something like this? Every man and every woman, every boy and every girl has to ask the exact same question, the one that Jesus puts out here. Have I done what Jesus has told me to do? And when you revert back to his very first point, a bankruptcy of spirit, I bring nothing in my hand. How how do we do this? Admit that I am a sinner and I deserve punishment. 
and then trust the work of Jesus that paid for my sins to make me acceptable to the Father. How is it that you can be clothed in righteousness today? Because God the Father will look at you and not see your sin because it has been forgiven, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, if I can take us back to that person that was observing me work at Bethesda years ago. Remember her? You remember what she saw and how impressed she was? Let's just pretend that she is going to be an onlooker in heaven. Let's pretend. I don't even know who she is. I wouldn't recognize her if I saw her. But imagine with me if we're standing on judgment day and I'm coming up to God as a judge. And imagine she elbows somebody next to her and says, oh, I can predict this one here. You see, I saw that guy years ago. He was caring for special needs people. He was working so hard and kind and smiling. I can tell you about this guy because I saw what he did. And then try to picture that person's face when God takes all those things that I have done and pushes them aside. (gasps) What's going to happen now? How will God judge that one, that man, if all those good things he did are pushed aside? God looks down at the foundation, and if on the foundation is written the words, Jesus Christ, then you will be accepted. I hope you're busy building a nice house. I hope you're busy doing great things. I hope that people think that you're so good that if you could make it to heaven by good works, that you would make it in. But I also hope that you are not one that is shocked. I pray that you are not surprised on judgment day when you bring all of these things with you to the judgment and God moves them aside to see what your foundation is. I went, I, uh, I paid a visit years ago to the hospital. There was a lady in our church that I was at before here who, who was sick. Her name was Patsy. And uh, I went to see her in the hospital. Didn't know where she was at, and we didn't have phones to connect easily. And so I went to the front desk, and I said, hey, Pastor Lizelle here to, to see Patsy, and then I gave her last name. And they typed in the computer, and they said, I'm sorry, we don't have anyone here by that name. I said, well, I'm I'm positive that she's here. I know she's here. And they said, well, could it be under another name? And I said, well, Patsy's the only name that I know. And so they weren't going to let me in if I didn't know the name. And she let me know that. I'm sorry. If you don't know the name, you can't get in. We worked on it. Patricia, Pat, we tried everything we could think of. I did finally get in. Would you like to know what her real name was? Cleopatra. And she told me when I saw her, if you ever tell anybody that my name is Cleopatra, we're going to have a problem. I was completely helpless at that desk when I did not know the right name. We must not only know the name of Jesus, but do what he told us to do to come with nothing 
understanding that all things will be wiped aside and have a foundation that says Jesus Christ. And if we will do that, he will say, enter in. And so many of you will hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. We love you, Father. Oh, oh, how we love you. Oh, how we thank you for using us to do your work. We thank you, first of all, for loving us enough to send Jesus for us. And I thank you for the hundreds of different stories represented in those hearing this message who had someone tell them about Jesus, whether it was a Sunday school teacher or a family member, or a co-worker, someone who understood the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ, and that you, God, can save. Our sin is so great, but you are more mighty. And I thank you for someone who cared enough to share the gospel. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to pray as the piano plays through. If you're here today, it could be that God has placed somebody on your heart. It could be somebody, to use Jesus' illustration, that really has a nice, fine house that is built, but you're not sure if they have the right foundation. Sometimes we think it's not very kind or very loving to ask them about when they got saved or what Jesus is to them. But that is the most kind and most loving thing that we can do. Can I encourage you, if there is someone that God is laying on your heart right now, to pray for them by name, just to yourself. Pray that God will give you opportunity to talk to them about the solid rock of Jesus Christ. I don't know everybody here today. It's possible there is someone listening that has never accepted Jesus. They have not done what he said they have to do. And that has come with nothing in their hand to Judgment Day, but only pointing to the work done by Jesus Christ. You can be forgiven today. All you have to do is ask Him to forgive you based on the work on the cross, and He will make you His son or His daughter. Maybe God's calling you to ask Him to save you today. If so, take a moment. Amen.